0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So, welcome everyone uh, to this series on the three characteristics. The three characteristics of existence, or the three facts, the three marks, (laughs) the three recognitions... What's important to say about these three characteristics is that they are not a theory. They are not um, a belief system. They are what we see, what we recognize when we look deeply, when we look closely. And this is important because the Buddha did not create a dogma. He did not develop a belief system. Rather, he developed ways for us to see things more clearly, to see what is really going on, and thereby be able to recognize how we suffer and how we can stop suffering. So these are characteristics that if we look closely, we will see that they are true, that this is in fact what happens. So last week, we talked about anicca, or impermanence, the understanding that everything is constantly changing. And everything that arises has the nature to pass away. So everything that comes into being will come out of being, (laughs) like waves on the ocean, you know? We come out of emptiness we have a lifespan, 80 or 100 years, and we go back into emptiness. It's just the way things are. And as we know, the Buddha was very practical. He purposely did not talk a lot about cosmology or metaphysics because. There are so many things that we just can't know, although he said he understood quite a bit. And they are distractions from the business at hand, the business at hand being seeing our suffering and seeing how we can let go of it, how we can reduce the amount of suffering. So seeing these characteristics clearly help us to understand the nature of things and therefore not to fight with how things are, not to resist how things are, but to go with it, we could say. So the second one, the second mark or the second characteristic is that of dukkha or often we say suffering. That's not the best translation, but it is the most common. In actuality, dukkha means that the hub of the wheel is a little off-kilter, a little off-center. And so dukkha is not just, you know, huge, enormous suffering... Um, terrible uh, things, it is also that sense of dissatisfaction, that sense that eh, things are not just right. So words like dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness, um, stress, disappointment, um, what else? Unreliability, discontent. All these refer to what we typically just say suffering, but it's important to recognize that that suffering has these um, these different elements, qualities. That suffering can be quite subtle. It's not always so um, so evident, perhaps. And and we'll see that more as we go on. And then the third characteristic, which we will talk about next week, is that of non-self or not-self or emptiness or selflessness. And this is the most challenging one, probably the most challenging one to speak about and the most challenging one for people to hear. There are many, many misunderstandings, many misconceptions, and hopefully um, we can clear some of those up next week. Uh, Please come with your questions, and I encourage you to question me, challenge me. That will help me to be able to speak about it in a more helpful way. But today, um, we are talking about dukkha. And I want to remind us that although we speak of these three characteristics separately, in fact, they are very intertwined. You almost can't speak about one without the other. Impermanence, the recognition of impermanence leads to dukkha. Because we are constantly trying to make permanent what is not permanent. And often, although the recognition of non-self can be very freeing, it's really, when we really get it, it's wonderful. But uh, when we're first introduced to it, it can create suffering. It can be uh, difficult to get. It can feel very, very um, what? untrue, um, ego-dystonic. It is (laughs) ego-dystonic for sure. Um, So these characteristics are very much interwoven and related to each other. Uh, I want to read you from the Dhammapada, where the three characteristics are listed and spoken about. And this, of course, is Gill's translation of the Dhammapada. All created things are impermanent. Seeing this with insight, One becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. All created things are suffering. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. All things are not self. Seeing this with insight, One becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. So seeing clearly these three characteristics leads us to be disenchanted with suffering. Interesting way of putting it, isn't it? And we can think about sometimes how we might be enchanted with suffering. But this Helps us to be disenchanted with suffering and is the path to purity. Jack Kornfield says the realization of these characteristics can cut through all grasping and goals and guide us to wisdom. And the Buddhist Dictionary says it is the full comprehension of the three characteristics by direct meditative experience. And that's important. So we talk about them. But the important thing is that each of us recognize them for ourselves. um, Which constitutes liberating insight. So it's the direct recognition of these through our own meditative experience that constitutes liberating insight. So seeing these characteristics directly, seeing today our suffering leads to insight, liberating insight. So sometimes, you know, people think, or people will say, oh, those Buddhists, all they talk about is suffering. Buddhism can have a reputation uh, because of the Four Noble Truths, for being a tradition that talks about suffering. And, of course, to some extent, I mean, there's some truth to that in that we do talk about suffering. But, of course, you all know that's not all we talk about. And other people find it a relief that we talk about suffering (laughs) because sometimes other traditions don't. And people get the idea if they're suffering, which we all are, it's a universal phenomenon, um, they must be doing something wrong, or there must be something wrong with them. It's not okay to suffer. Often traditions put a very heavy emphasis on optimism or positiveness, and that certainly has its place. But it can sometimes be to the exclusion of recognizing the pain and the suffering that is inherent in existence. And so, basically what we're talking about are the Four Noble Truths. And this is what the Buddha taught in his first sermon, the first turning of the wheel. This is the basis of Buddhist understanding, Buddhist practice. The Four Noble Truths are common to all sects, all um, uh, divisions of Buddhist practice. They may have different practices, or they may have different understandings of certain things, but the Four Noble Truths are basic to all. And of course, we know that the First Noble or Ennobling Truth, you may have heard Gil refer to the The truths as ennobling truths, and John Peacock, when he was here, said that actually was a better translation than noble truths. They're ennobling when we see them clearly. And the first of these is the recognition of suffering, that there is suffering in this life. And it's important to remember that this suffering is universal that there is suffering in life. And each of us experiences our little peace. So, um, I don't know about you, but that can be helpful to me. That uh, I'm not somehow separate or uh, I haven't done something terrible that I should suffer. But understanding that suffering is common to all of us. And, by and large, um, what the Buddha was talking about was the suffering within us. There is, no doubt, enormous suffering in the world. And we know that more and more now because of communication and because our world is, is getting so small. So uh, certainly I, and I'm sure all of you, are so much more aware of the suffering than I ever was before as, as a young person. And uh, I'm sure for you as well, for me, sometimes it's very difficult to hold the enormity of the suffering in this world. So actually it was the suffering in the world that led the Buddha to, um, to explore the reason for human suffering and what could be done about it. But what he is referring to is the suffering within ourselves. Understanding that if we can relieve ourselves of suffering, then of course we will relieve the suffering in the world. So the point of our meditative practice is to point us back, back to ourselves, back to our own suffering so that we understand it, we see it clearly, we can let go of it. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we suffer. Um, Sometimes I like to think, oh, you know, I'm I'm beyond that. So I remember many years ago talking to Gil, I said, I don't suffer. And he said, oh yeah? (laughs) What about, you know, da-da-da-da? Oh, <laughs> he knew me well enough, of course, to know that I was not completely free of suffering, and he knew exactly what to what to point to. So um, I say that because I think we we have a tendency to uh, sometimes dismiss our suffering. We sometimes we just plain don't want to recognize it. It's not much fun, actually, to. Um, To take a look at our suffering, especially in the moment. Uh, It's very easy to say, I don't I don't really suffer. But the reality is until we are completely free, we do suffer. And just to go back to the Four Noble Truths for a moment, remembering that the second of the truths is the cause of suffering, the root of our suffering, which is clinging or craving. Or actually, any time we want things to be other than how they are, we suffer. And so that can be a clinging, a holding on to what we like, wanting to have more of it, or a pushing away, a resisting of what we don't like, not wanting to have it. In either case, we're resisting the way things are. And then of course the third truth being that there can be an end to suffering there is an end in Buddhist understanding it's called nirvana or freedom or enlightenment. And then the fourth truth being the eightfold path. And that's the path that we uh, the path of practice really the path that we walk that can lead us to the end. Of suffering, But for today, we're just going to focus on the first truth, the truth of, of dis- dissatisfaction or stress, let us say. And we want to see it clearly because we want to see how our suffering drives us or uh, is the impetus for so much of our action, so much of what we do to avoid suffering. So much of what we do is about getting pleasure and avoiding suffering. And so today we're going to focus on seeing clearly the suffering in our life, not in a morbid way, but in a freeing way. Because if we don't see it, it's it's It doesn't go away. It's there anyway. It drives us, and we don't have much control. But if we see it, we can learn to let go of it or learn to not do the things we're doing to create the suffering and thereby become free of it. So I, I just want to reiterate, because I think it's so important that That when we feel pain or distress or dissatisfaction, it's so easy to blame ourselves. But we don't want to do that. It is not that we have done something wrong. Oh, of course there are times that we can learn from it and learn to do something more skillful. But that's different from blame And that's different from feeling that somehow we are bad or wrong because we suffer. You know, so often people will say, but why? Why did this happen to me? What did I do? And of course, the Buddhist answer is, why not? Why not me? (laughs) Not in a blaming way, but just the recognition. You know, things happen to all of us. So if I... Lose my father at age 29, um, I didn't like that very much. I suffered a great deal. But a lot of people lose their father at two years or 12 or (laughs) 23. You know, I'm hardly the only one to have lost my father at an early age, and 29 is not as early as two or three or six. So um, it's not that I did something wrong, although I have to tell you I sure felt that way at the time. I felt like, why did you leave me? Why My brother had died five months earlier, and I thought, you know, he cared more about my brother. He wanted to go be with my brother than be with me. That was enormously painful. Um, you know, the reality is it didn't have much to do with me. <laughs> I was very sad, I suffered, but his death didn't have much to do with me. It had more to do with him and what he was doing and how he felt probably and et cetera, et cetera. So remembering that that it's not that we've done something wrong, that suffering is a fact of life. And any time that we are liking something or not liking something, knowing that that can lead to suffering. Because if we grasp or if we resist, that will lead to our suffering. So I want to refer you to the first couple of chapters in Gill's book. The first one on the Four Noble Truths, and then the second one on tolerating suffering. Interesting, we don't, I don't think I've ever heard another teacher talk about tolerating suffering. But it's a very good point. Recognizing how we tolerate suffering. How, um, and, and seeing the difference between accepting and tolerating. And I don't think in the book, but I think I've heard him, or maybe it's my example, I don't know. But anyway, the example of having a pebble in your shoe and tolerating that suffering. Rather than stopping, taking off the shoe and getting rid of the pebble, how many times do we just keep walking? I know I sure have. Um, and and it's, it's not a huge annoyance, but it's that dissatisfaction. It's that constant uh, unpleasantness that is constantly there. And I could easily stop and get rid of the pebble, and, and it would be gone. So... Seeing where we tolerate suffering. And he suggests that there might be times that it might be valuable, it might be helpful to us to put up with something. Uh, he calls it suffering, not something we don't like. He talks about going to school, um, you know, having to put up with a lot of whatever <laughs> to get a degree that is going to pay off in the long run. Um, or exercise, which may not feel so pleasant at the time, but we know in the long run is going to be good for us. But he also suggests that there may be times that we tolerate suffering that the payoff is not going to be so good. And he uses the example of, of the drive for money or the drive for material success. There may be times that That can be quite useful. But sometimes it may be out of balance. It may not, the sacrifice that we make may not be worth the reward in the end. I have a neighbor who uh, works two jobs all the time. And her son-in-law told me that it's because um, she wants to work now and save up money and then retire. And, um, you know, it can make some sense. But we all know how many times people have done something like that only to retire and have a heart attack <laughs> or have you know something else terrible happen. So weighing or being aware is the suffering that I'm experiencing now, is it worth it in the long run? I, I know someone else who has a very, very stressful job and works very hard. And it's sort of the same thing, in order to build up a very good retirement. But in the meantime, there are health issues. And the health issues are increasing. There's more. So is it worth it? Is it really worth it? And each of us you know, can probably look at some situation in our life where we're doing something that we think is going to have a payoff in the long run, But if we look really carefully, is it worth it? Is it worth it? So another piece to be aware of is our relationship to suffering. How do we relate to it? Are we accepting of it? Are we resisting of it? Do we deny it? Do we um, actually uh, embrace it, um, identify with it? Sometimes people can build an identity around suffering. I am a sufferer, or I am a victim. And that can become a, an identity that someone carries. Um, and then rather than learning to alleviate their suffering. They may be caught in a position of creating more and more, because that's how they see themselves. To be free of suffering, they might not know what to do. And, and there can be some of that for all of us. We all have tendencies that, um, that we might not like, but to be free of them might be kind of scary. So it can be helpful to look closely and see, are we indulging in our suffering? Are we identifying too, too strongly with it? There's a saying from um, a Sufi master, Pierre Valant Khan, that I very much like. It says, May I overcome any bitterness that may have come because I was not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to me. I love that, that part, entrusted to me. Again, that, that takes some of the sting out of things that have created suffering in my life, um, have been the root of my suffering. But the pain that was entrusted to me Somehow that gives suffering for me, or pain or dissatisfaction, a very different slant. And it helps me to to have a very different attitude, a very different relationship to the pain in my life. One that is more along the lines of, how can I use this? As I was talking in Morgan Hill last night, I was suggesting one of the things, one of the pains, suffering in my life, has been a lack of self-confidence. I was considered a shy child, and um, I was told that, so of course I developed that. (laughs) And that led to a lack of self-confidence, and that has been something that has dogged me a good bit of my life. But there came a time when I thought, rather than fighting it, how can I use this issue? And what I have found is that it can, be, it can make me a much more empathetic therapist. Psychotherapy has been my profession for many years. And I have found talking with people that sometimes I make reference to how I have also worked with um, a lack of self-confidence. And people have responded in a way like, yes, I can see that the way I say it. Um, They know that that's true, that that I'm not just saying that theoretically, but that, that is true. And that can help in my relationship with that person So things that we consider to be um, very stressful or painful or create suffering is there a way that we can use those things so that that they can be beneficial rather than something we struggle against and that word entrusted, the pain that is entrusted to me, helps me to see things more in that light. So, of course, like with everything, our mindfulness is the most important tool to um, recognizing, understanding, seeing clearly our own suffering. So, paying attention. And, and I'll suggest to you that over the next week, um, you do pay attention to the suffering in your life, the large suffering, and see how, how refined you can get. See how much you can become aware of the very subtle suffering. Um, you know, I recognize it when damn or shit <laughs> comes to my mind. You know, somebody cuts in front of me or I forget something or something. And, and there's that, you know, it's not huge. Um, hopefully nobody's around. I may not say it out loud. <laughs> but, but that has become like a red flag. Any time a, a, a four-letter word comes to my mind, oh, where's the suffering? You know, because if it wasn't suffering, that wouldn't occur to me. That wouldn't come to my mind. So it can be um, a very minor thing, just something that annoys me that might not annoy you. Nevertheless, that's a little bit of suffering. And as a long-time Buddhist practitioner, uh, my aim is to be free of suffering, all suffering. Uh, Not just the major, but all of it. So it's very helpful for me to have these little red flags to notice when there is a little bit of suffering going on and then mostly now i you know the word occurs to me and i chuckle is it such a big deal <laughs> you know that this didn't go well or or something else and for the most part i can let go of it not always of course but but a lot of the times i can So our mindfulness that that helps us to see um, our own suffering and to see the little ways in which we suffer. So I'd like to lead you in an exercise for just a moment, if you will. And I'm going to ask you what in your life is a suffering large or small that you turn away from that you don't like to acknowledge that you don't want to admit but it's there if if you're really honest with yourself and i think we all have them and usually it doesn't take too much effort to say oh yeah that <laughs> so if it's helpful close your eyes and, and see what comes up for you. What what is a suffering, a little a little dissatisfaction or a large that you really don't like to acknowledge. It's very easy to turn away from. And can you now acknowledge it, really feel it, see it, see it clearly? It might be a feeling, might be a memory, might be a story. aware as you can of the suffering the suffering associated with whatever it is go right into it as we say now, if you have really felt it, seen it, sensed it, let go. Just let go of it. Imagine it's a balloon rising into the sky. Just totally let go of it. And what's left? What's the feeling? What's the experience? What's left as you totally let go of the suffering? And you can open your eyes. And would anyone like to say what What is your experience? What's left when you totally let go?
2: After I really got into the suffering, um, I began to realize a lot of it was related to past experiences that I was remembering from childhood and stuff. And When it was free, (laughs) I suddenly shrank down to about the age of a two-year-old and uh, I had no judgment about anything except that the world was a good place. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I felt happy and peaceful. Freer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Someone else. What was your experience of letting go?
2: Well, when we first were thinking about it, the suffering and then when you first said uh let it go
1: my body relaxed i mean i felt it just melt (laughs) so it shows me that not only in my thoughts do am i carrying it but i'm carrying the suffering in my body also the tension and um when i then went after that then i experienced just a spaciousness just a lot of space and uh And I wasn't doing anything in that space or thinking anything. It was just wonderful. Um, There was just space all around, and I felt so good. The two of you have said most of the words that I had written down. (laughs) It's a common experience when we let go, yes. There's that spaciousness, that relaxation, happiness even sometimes. Related to what you were saying, um, Gil reminds us in the book that <clears throat> that suffering is only in the present moment. and And so when we're suffering in the present moment, it's a memory of something, or it can be a memory of something past. And that can be helpful to see that it's not happening now. It's a memory of what happened. And, and for something like abuse, that's not a way of dismissing it. Of course, you know, it's important to recognize and feel fully the experience of abuse. But it can be helpful to know that it's no longer happening. It's not here now. It's a memory of what happened. Someone else? Um, My suffering was related to feeling guilt about how I've treated someone. And when I released that, immediately felt compassion for that person. So it really shifted. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful. And that's that's, um, the truth about suffering. That when the heart breaks with our suffering... That releases the compassion. So recognizing our own suffering is a way to get to the compassion. And compassion for ourselves and compassion for others. So this is the reason, a main reason, that it is so important that we remember to have compassion for ourselves amidst this suffering. That um, when we are facing the suffering, it can be very challenging, very, um, very difficult. It takes courage to turn and face it. And therefore, it must be done within the context of compassion. Compassion for ourselves, compassion for others. And of course, The more we have compassion for ourselves, the more we can have compassion for other people. It's like so many things, you know. If we can't give it to ourselves, we can't very well give it to other people as well. Anyone else? when you invited us to look at a, uh, an area where we might be suffering but we're not acknowledging it i found myself having resistance even to
0: that exercise i mm-hmm. thought there's so many areas where i can see i'm suffering why don't we work on those
1: and why do i have to go find yet another one <laughs> so, but i was able to locate another one and, and so i almost felt like i had a double suffering here's yet this new suffering and the resistance to even doing this mm-hmm. So it was really a surprise when you suggested now just let it go like a balloon because there was such a release and a lifting and a clarity of both of those types of suffering. And I felt so light and clear like, is it that simple? <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Thank you. Good. We think that turning to face suffering is, uh, oh, we can think a lot of things. We think it's foolish. We think it's dangerous. We think, you know, why would I want to do that? There have been times in my life that I have um, faced certain things and had friends say, but why would you do that? (laughs) But we find when we do that it does lead to a freedom. Because, as Linda said, as long as we're not acknowledging it, that doesn't mean it's gone. The body still holds it. And there's a tension, there's a tightness, there's a a discomfort within the body. And, you know, with um, trauma uh, now, there's a lot of recognition of how the trauma is held in the body. And a lot of therapy is now body work to help release the trauma that is held within the body. And so uh, recognizing it, recognizing the discomfort in the body, the tension, the tightness, um, is a way to help relieve it. Anything else? Uh-huh.
0: I was um, focusing on um, suffering in family relationships where there's a desire for me to want that relationship to be something that it's not. And there's a lot of pain and suffering with the change that's not going to happen there and recognizing that change. And when you said, let it go, my first thought was, yeah, right. (laughs) Um, There's no way because I have to face it every day. Um, but I put it in the balloon and let it fly and had this amazing like, lightness moment that I was in this paradise for that <laughs> bit of time. And I thought, you know, yes, this is something that gonna, I'm going to come across very regularly in my life. But if in those moments I can try and just do that, then what an amazing sense of freedom I will have in those small spaces and mm-hmm. that's a good place to start in those, with that so, so thank
1: you okay. yeah. and that brings up another point which is that there are many things that um, that we cannot change as you suggest that we're going to come across regularly, daily The difference is, or what the Buddha taught, is that we don't have to suffer about them. And you experience that freedom and and hopefully can experience more. But um, sometimes, you know, we talk about the second arrow. And the Buddha never suggested that we could get rid of all pain in life, you know, all experience um, uh, that we don't like. But we don't have to suffer about it. We don't have to um, tell ourselves the things we do. We don't have to tell ourselves the stories we do. Ain't it awful kind of things or make ourselves wrong for it. We can hold it as that's the way it is. Whatever the situation is, that's how it is. We don't have to add to it. Which is our tendency, of course. We add to it, and and that's the acceptance. And and it's not. Um, oh, that's okay. Oh well, it's not that kind of acceptance. It's 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 a realistic acceptance that that's how it is. But do I have to suffer about it? <laughs> and usually, no, I don't. I may not like it. It may be challenging. Well, life is challenging, right? Life is not for the faint-hearted. So just because it's challenging doesn't mean we have to suffer. We, that's what we can do something about. We can change our relationship to it so that we don't suffer. And that's actually huge. <laughs> Because there are many, many, many things in life that could create suffering for us because of our attitude, because we don't like it, because we think it should be different or they should be different or I should be different or whatever. And, and we may not be able to change that situation But we can change the attitude in here. Change what we bring to that situation. Buddhism suggests it's not what life brings us. It's how we deal with what life brings us. And accepting that death and loss and um, uh, disasters... um, are a part of life. That's the way it is. So what is our attitude? How can we bring uh, not a Pollyanna <laughs> attitude, but an acceptance that allows things to be as they are? Um, you know, during the holidays, there's a lot of talk cards and signs and all kinds of things saying, peace on earth. And, you know, since uh, being so involved in Buddhist practice, I have come to see, I was thinking this year, maybe we should instead say, peace in me. Because as long as we're focusing on peace on earth, it's usually, well, if they would stop fighting or if this would be different or if they, in my case, if they would be kinder to animals or (laughs) whatever, um, then we could have peace on earth. But I see this life as a (laughs) schoolroom, a classroom for learning. And, um, And, you know, there's a certain arrogance, right, when we think we know how life should be. Life should be peaceful. But it's not. It never has been. But we can become peaceful. We can develop that peace within us. And you know when you come across a peaceful person. It's very nice, isn't it? And it's somewhat contagious, you want to be around that person. And so, I don't think it's selfish at all. If we work on developing peace within ourselves, we will radiate that out to the world. And in fact, peace on earth will happen. But, but it will come from just our being peaceful, ourselves.
2: I um, love what you said about uh, it's the relationship to the suffering or, uh, you know, our attitude. Um, I need to be reminded of that <laughs> constantly. And the, the uh, suffering that I thought of for the exercise was the fact that um, I, I'm just very, very busy <laughs> at the moment in my life and I, have to, I always feel like you know, there's another place I have to get to and more things to get done and there's constantly this huge list of things that aren't going to get done but it kind of follows me around and I carry it like on my shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, literally mm-hmm. almost. Uh, because my shoulders are, you know, this just tension in my body always mm-hmm. um, related to this. And, you know, if I can, and I've been working to try to figure out what, what can I cut out of the list? What do I not really need to do? But I Really, I think the answer is more like, okay, just accepting the fact that at this point in my life, I'm very, very busy. I have a lot of things to attend to and a lot of responsibilities and be okay with that. And that's that's really the answer rather than, you know, well, I don't really need to do laundry or I don't really need to go grocery shopping or maybe my son doesn't need to go to another sport thing, practice. No, you know, those things are important (laughs) and I need to just honor that and... Accept it, and it won't always be this way. It will change. That's right. <laughs> Maybe that's not tomorrow, right. but eventually. So. Yes. so thank you very oh, much. It's very helpful.
1: Good. Yes, I catch myself, too, when, when I get very busy. Um, the mind saying, oh, I don't have time for that. Oh, I'll never get it all done. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> and that's a good place to catch myself. Don't. And actually what I find when I don't say that if I just, you know, oh, it'll get done. I'll, I'll do it. Which, of course, I do. I do get it done. It always gets done. Um, but if I'm not saying that to myself, there's so much more space. <laughs> there's so much more time. So being aware of what we're telling ourselves, which is really just what you're saying, our relationship, um, and stopping the not helpful, <laughs> the unskillful, mind talk so it's almost 11 let's sit for just a minute taking a couple of deep breaths and letting all the words just wash through you not grasping onto anything. Just being very present in a relaxed way.